0: From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schott.
1: And now, we as humans find ourselves as agents of evolution, right? We're, how human history and culture develop, develops is, is largely within our hands, within our choices, right? It's no longer natural selection, it's now actual selection.
0: I can't say that we live in the most exciting time ever, but it is exciting. Will we make it or not? Will we be able to manage the challenges to our ecosystem, our exploding population, our reliance on finite resources, and the threat of mass destruction by our own weapons? Will human beings survive and thrive and face the challenges before us, or will we collapse through our own ignorance and obstinacy? What might help us thrive and survive? as opposed to self-destruct? What philosophy, what way of seeing ourselves and our world will contribute to human flourishing? Those are the kinds of questions we tackle on Religion for Life. What do we need to know about ourselves and our universe that will help us to prosper? How can our spiritual and religious traditions be put to good use for our future? Those are not easy questions and a variety of people have a variety of answers. We explore the thought and ideas of different thinkers on this program. We may agree. We may disagree. That's not as important as being inspired to be creative and to reimagine possibility. Today's guest is such a person. Steve McIntosh is the author of Evolution's Purpose and Integral Consciousness. He's a leader in the integral philosophy movement. He currently works as president and co-founder of the nonprofit social policy organization, the Institute for Cultural Evolution. In addition to this think tank and his work on philosophy, Steve has had a variety of other successful careers, including founding the consumer products company Now and Zen, practicing law with one of America's largest firms, working as an executive with Celestial Seasonings Tea Company, and Olympic-class bicycle racing. He's an honors graduate of the University of Virginia Law School and the University of Southern California Business School. His website is stevemacintosh.com, and his latest book, published in 2015, is The Presence of the Infinite, The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. He's with me via Skype from Boulder, Colorado, to talk about it. Welcome, Steve, to Religion for Life.
1: Thanks, John. It's a pleasure to be with you today.
0: Well, let's talk about this exciting book. There's a lot in here. Um, How did you come to write it? Well,
1: I've been interested in spirituality uh, throughout my life. I was not raised in any kind of religious tradition, uh, but you know, when I was 12 years old, I began to realize that the universe was uh, more interesting than I had been led to believe. <laughs> so, I in the 70s that was, I became very interested in what's now best labeled progressive spirituality, right? Alternative, countercultural spirituality. And uh it, it, you know, sort of an eclectic mix of lots of different paths, east and west, earth-based spirituality. Uh, there was a time when we referred to it as New Age, but that term is yeah. now a term of derision. So progressive spirituality uh, is is broader and it encompasses more than typically what people think of New Age. But it's a, a significant segment of American society of people who have sought out spirituality in ways that differ from the traditional cultural heritage of Western civilization, right? Although those overlap, progressive spirituality is a discrete kind of category of of, uh, spiritual paths, a family of spiritual views, pluralistic, open, you know, inclusive. And I've been involved with progressive spirituality for decades, but by the late 1990s, uh, myself and um, uh, you know, many of my friends, we began to realize that progressive spirituality wasn't really going to live up to its promise of bringing about a kind of spiritual renaissance, that, there were, that it was after many years of expecting some kind of great awakening, it was clear that progressive spirituality was going to, in a sense, remain within a countercultural niche and not really provide a more inclusive, agreeable form of spirituality that um, could serve the spiritual needs of America and the developing world, uh, while still being pluralistic and open, of course. And so uh, beginning around the year 2000, um, I was attracted to uh, what's now a kind of a worldwide uh, movement uh, for integral philosophy, or the integral, sometimes called the evolutionary worldview. And this is a perspective that understands Uh, human culture and consciousness as continuously developing and evolving. And so integral philosophy is a a spiritual philosophy of evolution, right? It doesn't try to conflate human evolution, uh, you know, that is consciousness and culture to biological evolution. It's not materialistic, but it wants to integrate science and spirituality on their own terms And it finds within the story of our origins, you know, the 13.8 billion year history of time, uh, the universe evolving through its various stages, that there's actually deep spiritual truth uh, contained in the story of evolution, which can act as a supplement to practically every spiritual path. And so uh, I have been writing in this area of integral philosophy. My first book came out in 2007. That was kind of a general overview of integral philosophy. Then I focused in 2012, the book Evolution's Purpose was written for the mainstream, you know, for skeptics or even atheists who may uh, balk at the idea that that evolution reveals the spiritual nature of the universe. Um, But then taking it further in this 2015 book, The Presence of the Infinite, I focused specifically on spiritual experience itself and how this new understanding of evolutionary spirituality, as I call it, illuminates and expands our hold on spiritual experience, not only showing us more clearly than ever before what it actually is, but how we can use the spiritual experience we have in our lives to improve our work in the world and to better give our gift. So this category of evolutionary or integral spirituality is distinct from progressive spirituality. Even though it's sort of trying to push off against progressive spirituality, it's attempting to transcend it, but also include it. You know, it doesn't completely try to invalidate uh, alternative countercultural spirituality, but it also attempts to better integrate science and better integrate philosophy, to be more rigorous, to bring back, uh, you know, reason and, and uh, critical thinking uh, to the subject of spirituality. And so that's a little bit of background of how I came to write this present book.
0: In uh, Near the beginning of the book, you write that your foundational premise uh, is spirit by whatever name is real, and that it's possible for humans to make authentic contact with it. Talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean by spirit and spiritual?
1: Right. Well, in the book, in, in describing evolutionary spirituality, I'm trying to describe it in terms that are broad enough to remain pluralistic and to accommodate a variety of spiritual paths, both both uh, traditional uh, theistic and panentheistic spiritual paths, as well as non-dual or non-theistic. Spiritual paths. I think both are, are like lines of development, uh, lines of religious development that grow from the traditional through the modern, through the postmodern, and now into the uh, the integral or post-postmodern stage. Uh, what I mean by spirit uh, at, at this sort of pluralistic inclusive level of understanding is literally the presence of the infinite within the finite. In other words, whatever spirit is, there's is wide agreement among the various paths that it has this quality of of infinity. And not just quantitative, mathematical infinity, but also metaphysical or qualitative infinity. And that that this idea of of infinity is is solid because it allows us to think about spirit as transcendent. You know, that, that the finite universe of time is sort of encompassed and contained by this kind of larger infinite form of being, which is spirit. But this transcendent infinite spirit is also imminent within the universe. That's one of the tenets of, of panentheistic theology, which, as I argue in the book, is, is central to evolutionary spirituality. So spirit is infinite, and, and it's a kind of a glimpse of ultimate reality within time, you know, by time-bound uh, creatures like us. Now, the ontological reality of the infinite, w- what it is in a bigger sense, is... Um, that's defined by you know, Buddhism and Advaita Vedanta Hinduism as a kind of a non-dual oneness. It's described by uh, Christianity and other uh, theistic religions as a loving creator, right? And, and in the book, I wrestle with the, the ways that these differing conceptions of ultimate reality and, and the presence of spirit and what spirit is and how it manifests, uh, how it can be experienced, I, I grapple with these two essential kinds that we can find in the world body of spiritual teachings, East and West, we can find it within different kinds of spiritual practices, and we can find it within uh, spiritual experience itself, as I argue. And so one of the things that New Age spirituality does is it tries to sort of, in in a a commendable attempt to bring all forms of spirituality together, it often describes these different paths as, as different routes to the top of the same mountain. You know, and, I, and I, I think that's probably true at some level, but at another level, trying to say that the theistic loving creator and the non-dual oneness, right, that's taught in, in uh, many Eastern paths, these aren't exactly the same thing. You know, their experience isn't mm-hmm. the same. And while theist, theists can certainly experience the oneness of all things in a kind of a mystical non-dual encounter, uh, it's also ex- it's possible to experience another kind of deep uh, form of spiritual experience, which is irreducibly relational. That is, as I describe in the book, the love of God. Right. However one may define or conceptualize this idea of God, the idea that we can feel the love of God, the love of the source, the love of the necessary being, which is behind all beings, that that's a direct experiential uh, 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 revelation that saints and sages and indeed ordinary people have been experiencing down through the ages. And this experience, as I argue, points to uh, a, an element of ultimate reality which exhibits self-awareness, right? So the self-awareness of ultimate reality is is sort of, in, in, as I argue, kind of philosophically necessary for the love of God to be real at an ultimate level. And that doesn't mean that we have to uh, uh, regress to mythic notions of an anthropocentric deity. But at the same time, the idea that the universe just kind of came about by accident or that the source of creativity or the intentional causation that brought about our universe that that's somehow automatic or accidental um... i think uh, a panentheistic evolutionary view is coming to see that that's just not an adequate description of spirit
0: as i'm hearing you speak and as i've read your book i wonder if there's a connection between uh... what you're talking about with evolutionary spirituality and what uh people might call process theology. You mentioned Alfred North Whitehead of process philosophy. Is, is that uh, something similar?
1: Sir, it is similar. Uh, as I describe in my other books in Evolution's Purpose and Integral Consciousness, uh, Alfred North Whitehead is in some ways a very important founder of integral philosophy. And process philosophy, as it's uh, practiced at the academic level and generally understood, is a kind of integral philosophy. But it's not um, strictly the the integral philosophy uh, community or or, um, movement that that I'm a part of and a proponent of. So we, we look to White as an important founder, just as we look to Hegel. Or Terre de Chardin, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not, this is not a strictly Whiteheadian philosophy, and we differ with some of Whitehead's metaphysics while still um, incorporating and appreciating uh, you know, his amazing insights, uh, perhaps most specifically regarding the idea of the beautiful, the true, and the good, which Whitehead elaborated, elaborated on um, and, and brought a lot of new insight to our understanding of, of what those realities are.
0: If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Steve McIntosh, author of *The Presence of the Infinite: The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness*. And that was my next question: Beauty, truth, and uh, uh, goodness—those—I was going to ask you, uh, how did you come to those three uh, aspirations as, as central?
1: Sure. Well, throughout the history of philosophy, really beginning with Plato, many sensitive thinkers have come to appreciate that intrinsic values, values which are ends in themselves, right? We could make a list. We could include love and freedom and justice and many concepts which we could could perhaps agree are ends in themselves. But throughout, not not just in the line of Plato's philosophy, but in many other sources, East and West, uh, spiritual philosophers have come to appreciate that there's something very special about this triad of the beautiful, the true, and the good they're a little bit like primary colors, right? Just like uh, the primary colors on your computer screen, right? Red, green, and blue, RGB, can can be combined and contrasted to produce the entire visible uh, spectrum. The beautiful, the true, and the good are, in a sense, primary because it's been argued philosophically that all values can be related back in one way or another to these most intrinsic or or, uh, that, that, that these these elements of human experience, the beautiful, the true, and the good, they're not absolute, they're not static, platonic forms. We've sort of outgrown that pre-modern conception. But neither are these realities uh, purely subjective, as existential existentialist philosophers have argued. Um, as I argue, with Whitehead and many other spiritual philosophers, that these, these elements of spiritual experience, right the beautiful, the true, and the good, are really, in a sense, the comprehensible elements of divinity. There's ways in which we uh, can experience spirit in a very palpable way. And not only can we experience the beautiful, the true, and the good in both fleeting glimpses and in you know, life-changing, awe-inspiring uh, encounters, but we can also use these realities, these, these values or virtues or qualities, however you want to conceptualize these realities, we can use them in our work, right? When we're instructed by the truth, the beautiful, the true, and the good are, in a sense, the spir- provide the spiritual experience that's available in just about any cultural expression. Right? Whether it's we find goodness in moral relationships, we find truth in in uh, you know a, a rational expansion of what we come to know as real. We find beauty in uh, in, in that which moves us through our senses. These glimpses of the transcendent uh, are, are really uh, a key. Because they not only lend themselves to a practice that can uh, deepen our personal spiritual development, as I describe in the book, they also lend themselves to a method that can have political consequences for making the world a better place.
0: Yeah, let's go there for a second. So uh, the idea of beauty and truth and good as as aspirations, um, to which... uh, to which we aspire, to which we experience. How does that help us with, say, some of the uh, bigger problems that we're facing, uh, such as uh, climate change or uh, uh, not being able to live sustainably within uh, our planet's limits?
1: Sure. Well, this goes back to Integral philosophy's understanding of the evolution of human culture and consciousness. That. Uh, that. That the development of human history is real evolution, although again, it can't be conflated with biological or cosmological evolution. It's extending the structure of emergence, if you you will, whereby something more keeps coming from something less, you know, in our universe. And now we as humans find ourselves as agents of evolution, right? How human history and culture develop develops is is largely within our hands, within our choices, right? It's no longer natural selection. It's now actual selection. Mm. And so the choices that we make determine whether things evolve or not by whether we make things more beautiful, true, or good. Now, the the philosophical uh, question comes in where people can say, well different people have different ideas, and indeed there's there's significant conflict sometimes between what's true and good in the minds of, of people, and this is some, some of the strife in the world comes out of this. So integral philosophy understands that there are stages of development within consciousness and culture. Right, It's not a linear progression, but there are uh, worldviews that are horizons of value which arise sequentially in human history, and, and all of these worldviews that have arisen in the last, you know, 5,000 years at least, are online and functioning now. Even though we're all alive here in 2015, not all of us live in the same time in history. And so different value sets, different frames of what is beautiful, true, and good, form around the problems that one encounters in one's life's conditions, right? That's why we see different worldviews. The way we can sort of overcome a linear hierarchy, at least to some degree is by recognizing that certain sets of values, certain definitions of what's beautiful, true, and good, are most effective at combating certain sets of of life problems. So, for example, if if we're trying to feed ourselves or we're trying to overcome the chaos of of a warring society, then we might need a certain set of values that can bring order. Or if we find ourselves in a feudal or dictatorial society where we need need to break out of that oppression, values of liberation and personal achievement are are what can cause evolution, right? Or when we've achieved a materialistic society that, that gives us prosperity but lacks meaning then another set of values becomes uh, online, which can begin to provide a a more holistic understanding of what's true, beautiful, and good, even while it relies on the accomplishments of previous value frames or previous worldviews. So being able to see a kind of an internal cultural ecosystem of value is uh, one of the major insights that's brought by integral philosophy. And how this relates to making the world a better place can be seen through the understanding that We become more evolved and the world becomes more evolved when we create and experience intrinsic value. And that uh, intrinsic value itself uh, is is something that, that can raise consciousness, that can cause evolution, that the beautiful, the true, and the good properly presented or taught or served. But when we give people these values, when we bring them into their lives, it literally raises their consciousness. So one of, the, uh, one of the programs of integral philosophy is to help increase the scope of what people are able to value. Like if we're able to help them value the earth right, or value each other more than they do now, this will make a significant contribution to helping to solve the, the you know, tremendous challenges that we face here at the beginning of the 21st century.
0: You use the word uh, throughout also emergence, which I'm fascinated with the idea that out of our um, human aspirations over our history, over over our human history, uh, that kind of becomes, in a sense, bigger than the individual aspirations, that it actually is a reality that uh, that grows. Is is that a sense? uh, Is that what kind of you mean with emergence and how the beauty, truth and goodness is something um, that continues to actually evolve in itself?
1: Right. Well, what's evolving is consciousness and culture. Mm-hmm. But, but the substance of uh, how that's evolving is through a, a deeper realization of what's true. Right. Like so we, we make progress through science when the Enlightenment discovers through science all these new scientific truths about the universe. That truth literally evolves human civilization. Right. Or the right. truth that the environment is fragile and that we need to be uh, stewards of a a fragile planet, right, which is uh, subject to damage by a scientific civilization. That's another kind of truth that emerges, right? We can see uh, these steps of truth that cohere in sets in these different worldviews. Likewise, we can see the evolution of goodness uh, in the way that, um, as human consciousness and culture have evolved, the scope of those worthy of moral consideration has expanded, right, from the tribe or our blood kin to those who are in the same religion, to those who are in the same nation, and then eventually to all sentient beings being worthy of moral consideration. Uh, This is an example of how we evolve in our concept of what is valuable and how this makes the interior of our consciousness, if you will, larger, right? It constitutes authentic evolution because it's creating emergence, right? So exactly what emergence is, is a deep philosophical subject. you know, I've been influenced by the writing of Philip Clayton, who's who's mm-hmm. written quite a bit about emergence theology. Uh, Whitehead also talks about how, um, you know, his his definition of evolution. Whitehead's is that evolution is the, an increase in the ability to experience what is intrinsically valuable, right? So that's mm-hmm. Whitehead's consciousness centric definition of the evolution of consciousness and culture. He understands it as proceeding as a growth in value and values. And um, uh, this has been going back to the beginning, right? Ever since the Big Bang, as I said, something more keeps coming from something less. And and it's not just a downhill uh, path of entropy. There's real value that's entering the universe, not just anthropocentrically valuable realities, but but, uh, kind of a natural value that's the foundation of environmental ethics, right, as described by Holmes Ralston. And there have been some sophisticated materialists who've argued for um, uh, philosophies of emergence, which try to uh, contain the magic, if you will, or, or or relegate the value to a materialistic explanation. Um, but, um, you know, I reject those attempts at reduction and uh, see that uh, consciousness itself, uh, being itself, you know, a universe that is contingent it could have been otherwise, these are direct evidence of the movement of spirit in the world. And so aligning ourselves with that movement of spirit by coming to better understand how it works and where it's going is, uh, again, uh, the focus of the book.
0: Steve McIntosh, my guest on Religion for Life, author of The Presence of the Infinite, The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. Your philosophy is a very positive one. Um, It it isn't apocalyptic in the sense that we find either religiously or politically. Uh, Looking at our world today, everything's getting worse and worse and worse. Um, But yours is is a positive thing that uh, human beings can participate in uh, uh, something that is really magnificent. We may make it through these difficult times and then move ahead uh, to something that is more beautiful, more good, more true, more integrating for uh, all of our species.
1: Yeah, it certainly is optimistic, but I try to avoid a kind of a Pollyanna view of an upward escalator to the good, right? Okay. Evolution sometimes becomes stalled. Sometimes it experiences regression. You know, I think we need to be keenly aware of the threats, uh, climate change, nuclear proliferation, terrorism. Uh, you know, a shock to the system could cause a regression, and we need to al- always be, um, you know, uh, on our guard, if you will, to prevent uh, sliding backward in the, uh, uh, progress that we've made. And indeed, one of the ways that we've been able to make progress as humans is by, by stages expanding and, and, and improving our definition of improvement itself, right? What does progress mean, right? We don't want to have a modernistic definition that's just, you know, material progress, But I don't think we want to take a a kind of a postmodern or pessimistic view that modernity has brought nothing but disaster, right? And that we'd be better to return to a kind of an agricultural or local uh, environment. Um, Evolutionary spirituality recognizes that every one of these stages of history has both important contributions that it's made, enduring values that we need to carry forward, and pathologies, right? Evolutionary scaffolding that we do well to prune away, and that process of transcending is in a sense, um, determined by our, what we're able to include, right? That, that is this internal cultural ecosystem of values depends on the values, achievements of earlier stages to be online and functioning, just like our, our bodies uh, our biological bodies require the achievement of earlier stages of, of biological evolution that are sort of part and parcel of our bodies now. Those need to be online and functioning for the higher functions of our you know, cognition to, to be um, a reality. And the same thing can be seen in culture whereby the achievements of the traditional stage, right, the achievements of traditional religion in bringing the values of honesty, decency, fair play, respect for rightful authority – those are all enduring values that we need going forward. You know, likewise, modernity, science, rational thinking, you know, progress, freedom. These are all very important values that we can't do away with or, or somehow eclipse. Post-modernity, right, there were the countercultural values of uh, inclusiveness and care for those who've been marginalized or exploited. You know, the uh, environmental priority, right, those are all very important values that are relatively new on the scene, and those need to be conserved but at the same time, connected to every one of these value stages are pathologies. And the, one of the pathologies of the, the progressive culture is that it tends to be um, op, uh, kind of pessimistic, right? There's, there's a, mm-hmm. the, the focus is on modernity's crimes. And, and, and although those are abundant, um, it, we, if we want to improve on modernity, uh, if we think we just need to reject it or, or um, eliminate it, then our ability to improve it is significantly diminished. So, this philosophy of evolution, uh, which is integral philosophy, is always attempting to transcend by including. And so, in, in some ways, the degree of our transcendence is measured by the scope of our inclusion. And so, integral philosophy is able to include the positive values of all of these previous worldviews in a, in a new whole, which is not uh, an ability found at these previous levels of history. And um, so, it makes us optimistic because we can see how evolution itself is continuing and we have new powers now to make the world a better place um, by bringing spiritual experience into the lives of our fellows with the idea that this actually can solve world problems, as I argue carefully in the book.
0: Steve McIntosh, uh, The Power of the Infinite, The Spiritual Experience of Beauty, Truth, and Goodness. Steve, thank you so much for this work and for being with me today.
1: Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure.
0: His website, again, is stevemacintosh.com. A podcast of this show and of all Religion for Life programs can be found at religionforlife.com. You can find Religion for Life on any podcast app. Catch Religion for Life every week on this station and via podcast. Religion for Life is produced at KBOO Portland. I'm John Shuck. Be welcome.